Yes, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, March the 13th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. And you know what Wednesdays are. We do a Bible study, and people in church can meet at 9.30, listen together to the Bible study, and then afterwards talk about it for about a half hour. And today we're going to be taking a look at Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 8 to 15. That is the epistle for the second Sunday in Lent. And we like to talk about that so that you'll have an idea when you're hearing that reading in some churches this Sunday, you'll have a pretty good idea what it's talking about. It begins with, And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold on him, saying, You shall die. That's verse 8 of chapter 26. What possibly could Jeremiah have said that would make the ruling individuals in Jerusalem at that time threaten, you shall die. Well, for that, we need to go back a little bit in chapter 26, back to what the Lord tells Jeremiah to say to the people. It's found in verse 4. The Lord says, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the Lord. Now, Shiloh was a city that really was in ruins. And what Jeremiah is saying is that if the people do not repent of their sins and believe the words of the Lord that are brought by the prophets, then Jerusalem also will become like Shiloh. The temple will be destroyed. In fact, when uttering a curse, nations will say, let Jerusalem's fate overtake you. And, of course, that would have meant that Jerusalem had been destroyed and the temple destroyed. We're talking here about the Babylonian captivity of the Holy Land because of the unbelief of the people. So why does this necessitate a death on the part of Jeremiah? Well, let's go back to verse 8. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. Then all the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Now, what prophets? I thought we were supposed to listen to the prophets. No. In God's mind, there are true prophets, there are false prophets. And these have been the false prophets that were telling people, oh, the way to get on God's good side is what? To obey the law. And if you take a look at Judaism, it was the ceremonial laws that people were bragging about obeying, tithing, fasting, 
circumcising. They, they thought that's how they got right with God. That's how they became meritorious in being saved. So they ask Jeremiah, verse 9, Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitants? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Now, ought we be surprised at that? Because that certainly is happening even in our day. I'm coming to the conclusion that a lot of young people who are leaving the church are not leaving because they disagree with the gospel, namely that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that he is God and he is the Son of Man. They're really leaving because of the teachings of the church on morality, because they disagree with the morality of the church right now. Uh, against abortion, against homosexuality, and, and such things. And so they are listening to the false prophets. In fact, I, um, you remember we had a phone call recently on our Open Light Mike Friday from a woman who had had a miscarriage, and her pastor, who was very liberal, told her not to worry about it because that was not yet a human person until it had been born. And, of course, that did not satisfy or comfort her at all. But that's part of the false prophecy that we're hearing out there as people try and defend their right to kill babies in the womb. Well, when you say that this city is going to be destroyed and this temple that you're going to, you think you're safe from that? In, in fact, they would often say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. There's no way that God is going to allow this beautiful temple built by Solomon, a great wonder of the world, to be destroyed. And that's why Jesus says, you have made my temple into a den of robbers, quoting right from Jeremiah. And so they're gathering around the house, and this ought to be expected for us also. Among the Beatitudes, that's in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for you shall inherit the kingdom of God. Persecution is going to be happening. And why is it going to be happening, particularly to the church? Because the message of the church is contrary to the thinking of the world. Uh, the world's really got wrong ideas about God and when God doesn't satisfy their needs properly, they just stop believing in God. I mean, how many movies do you see where the people have no faith at all because God doesn't fit into their scheme of thinking? Now, verse 10. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, this man, and they're referring to Jeremiah, deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. 
the gospel for this second Sunday in Lent is from Luke 13. And it begins with the Pharisees coming to Jesus saying, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should be should perish away from Jerusalem. And then this famous statement, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is almost exactly what Jeremiah is saying, that the city of Jerusalem is going to be forsaken. And we know that Jesus' prophecy concerning Jerusalem took place in 70 AD when the Romans came and again destroyed Herod's temple. So, This is something common that we ought to expect. That when, say we're at the office and some employee is talking to you about a death they had in the family and he's really upset over the death, it was a close relative, and you tell him about Jesus Christ is your Savior, who, and then he gets mad at you. Doesn't even let you finish the sentence. Because he blames God for this. And he would rather not have you around at all. Now, in some countries of this world, even Christians are being put to death for talking about the message of Jesus Christ. This is not at all unusual. Particularly when Christians are saying that which the Lord wants them to say. So, After the officials go to the high priests, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah defends himself. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city All the words you have heard. Remember the transfiguration? God the Father adds something to his words about Jesus that he did not have at the baptism. The baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The transfiguration, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. In other words, Jesus is a prophet. And he is speaking that which the people don't like at all. This can happen in your life also, where to relatives, friends, neighbors, co-workers, you speak the faith that you have, and they get angry at you. Expect that. Because this world is the world of Satan. And we therefore... Do not look forward to people saying, oh, that's really good news. I'm really glad I heard that. In fact, I'm always surprised 
when somebody begins to believe what the Bible says, because the Bible is totally irrational. It's not reasonable at all. It's quite logical in all that it says. But boy, it just doesn't make any sense to the people. Here, somebody gets crucified, and the person who's being crucified says, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That just doesn't happen very often. So Jeremiah says, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house all the words that I am saying to you. Verse 13, now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. Now, that's really kind of important. In fact, I had a discussion about this yesterday. That God does bring blessings to his children. But there is no promise of blessings to unbelievers. Things work out together for good for his children. There is no such promise for unbelievers. And the reason that is, is that as the unbeliever suffers under the consequences of his sin, the purpose of that is to get him to a point where he is now going to say, boy, I cannot save myself. And therefore, in saying that, he becomes open to hearing about a message of how he can be helped from outside of himself. Yes, uh, the previous program, Coffee Hour, uh, Pastor Whedon was talking about the difference between pietism and piety. A lot of people get that mixed up. Pietism is kind of sermons that really focus on you and how you should be feeling better and all kinds of things you can do to make your life wonderful, etc. Piety, those sermons focus on Jesus Christ. Speak about him again and again. Therefore, it's very important that we have sermons of piety, which means at times we're going to be attacked for what we are saying. I mean, people just don't believe, unbelievers, that they are as bad as the Bible says they are. No one does good without sin, Romans says very clearly. And by the way, that's even after you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You still go against the Holy Spirit. That's part of the problem of an unbeliever. It's also part of the problem of Christians in regard to their old Adam. But we don't make a judgment as to whether or not the sins of the old Adam are sufficient to have you thrown out of heaven. If it includes an unbelief, in Jesus Christ, then heaven will not be your home. But a a lot of times, uh, people can disagree with the Bible and still be saved. Uh, For example, there may be people who actually believe in the theory of evolution rather than Genesis. And I'm not saying that that's going to damn them. But it all depends as to how much of an influence the denial of Genesis 1 will have on them in their denials of New Testament passages, morality, and so forth. So we leave that judgment up to God. Mend your ways 
and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. Verse 14, Jeremiah 26. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Boy, if that isn't an echo of Jesus. You know, he says to Pontius Pilate, you know, he can, to the disciples, he had said, I can have a legion of angels come down and protect me. And to Pontius Pilate, you don't have any power over me. But he allowed himself to be crucified. Why would he do that? It's in the passage, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It is an error to understand that passage. This is how much God loves you, as though his love has a greater quantity than other loves, that he's willing to sacrifice his son. No, no. The fact is, God so loved the world, and here's the evidence of it, he was willing to give up his son. It's his willingness to sacrifice his son on the cross for my sins and your sins that shows how much he truly loves us. As Jesus says, oh, perhaps somebody will die for a friend, but for an enemy, who would ever die for them? Well, Jesus did. He died for the enemies of God. Ask God to forgive them and also offers them the gift of the righteousness of God that comes from no one but God. And remember, in the Sunday School lesson I did recently for Issues Etc. on Nicodemus, when it says that you need to be born of water and the Spirit reborn, the word there actually means to be born above, which flies in the face of all theologies that teach our salvation comes from below as we invite Christ into our heart. I mean, what unbeliever would ever invite Christ into their heart? They're unbelievers. And so anytime somebody wants to invite Christ into their heart, you can give them the good news that if you really have that desires, then that you really believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and died on the cross for your sins, you don't have to invite him into your heart. You wouldn't have those thoughts unless he already was in your heart. And so we give good news to people that their sins are not forgiven when they invite Christ into their heart. No, their sins were forgiven at the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I've forsaken you so that I can forgive those who don't deserve it. And when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that forgiveness went out to everybody. But one needs to receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins. And if you're too proud and you think too much highly of yourself, then you will not want the gift of the forgiveness of sins because you don't think you need it. And that's what had happened to the people in Jerusalem. They thought they were okay with God. Look at all the good things we're doing for God in the area of the ceremonial laws. Forgetting that the ceremonial laws were not set up by God in order to be obedient to them and therefore merit salvation, they were set up by God to point forward to the greatest ceremony that would take place when the Lamb of God would come 
as John the baptizer says, to take away the sins of the world. So after Jeremiah says to them, do with me as it seems good and right to you, listen to verse 15. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Wow. I'm not really sure that my faith is that strong. (laughs) where I would say, okay, put me to death. Blood will be upon you. I may be strong enough, and I wouldn't call it courage, being here at KFUO, speaking the words over a microphone. We don't have any protesters outside the building. Uh, Nobody is sneaking over to our house at night to break in and harm us. Uh, we're, We're living a pretty comfortable life as pastors, so why shouldn't we speak the clear word of God? especially in this country where we have so much protection from those who hate hearing the word from God. Well, what happened is the officials who had gathered to hear the people said to the priests and the prophets who were attacking Jeremiah, this man does not deserve the sentence of death for he has spoken to us in the name of of the Lord our God. And therefore, they said, do not put him to death. They, they even talk about another prophet, Micah of Morsheth. And he had spoken what the people did not like, where he said, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooden height. And they asked, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. And so at that point, Jeremiah was not put to death. That's something that happens in some countries where there are those who are trying to put individuals to death. But Jeremiah was saved at this point from being put to death for what he was saying against the city of God. He continued to prophesy. In fact, there are how many chapters in Jeremiah? There's a lot of them. And he goes through even the time when Jerusalem has fallen and the temple burned. Finally, it's 52 chapters, by the way, in Jeremiah. This is a lesson for all of us to stay faithful to the Lord our God, even though it may cause us criticism and sometimes even receive violence. But who would want to deny the clear word of God? It's happening in some areas, even of the United States, 
where when people are speaking the true word of God in the area of morality, their church windows are broken, sometimes they're ransacked, and there's threats against them. But we stand up for the word of God because that's what needs to be said. On our next Law and Gospel, we're going to be having Wes Reimnitz on with us, and we're going to be discussing a subject we haven't yet quite decided among a, a number of them we're looking at, but that'll be on tomorrow. And the purpose of discussing these subjects is to give you some insight as to why the Bible says what it says and why we therefore are not afraid to speak the word of God. That'll be on Rumination Thursday, the next Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.